Welcome back to Left Anchor. I'm Ryan Cooper. Today we've got a very interesting interview for you. It's all about school financing. I think most people uh, in this country probably know that the way that schools are financed has to do with the property taxes around the surrounding neighborhood. And, you know, that causes some obvious problems. But it's actually much worse than that, as our guest will explain. Our guest is Professor David I. Backer, who's an associate professor of educational foundations and policy studies at Westchester University. Um, he also writes a weekly newsletter on education finance called Schooling in Socialist America. It's pretty cool. Um, but he's going to dig into that for us and, and really uh, the, the literally gory details uh, about school financing. But at the end, also, you know, help us out with some possible solutions. So before we get to that interview, uh, as usual, I've got to say that this this podcast is now sponsored by the American Prospect magazine. Um, and if you subscribe at the $10 a month tier, then you'll get a, a free digital subscription to the magazine and a discounted uh, print subscription if you so wish. Um, we appreciate the support, whether it's that or uh, just subscribing to us on iTunes or dropping us a review. Anything uh, could help us out. So without further ado, let's get to our interview with uh, Professor Backer. Um, but th yeah, thanks. Thanks for coming on. Great. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I thought to, to kick the discussion off a bit, uh, you in your newsletter you have an interesting piece about school finance and the municipal bond market and um the how that sort of relates to the school uh, the shooting in uvalde texas um so c could you kick us off because there's a lot of dynamics in there that i think people won't um be too familiar with uh but just you know what is the municipal bond market uh, and why does that make why does education make up such a large proportion of the uh, uh, debt that these cities and uh, whatnot are issuing? Yeah, so it's a great question. Um, the municipal bond market is uh, a place where state and local governments can go to get loans. Uh, and it's a private, it, it's really important to note, it's a private credit market, which means that it's a center for all kinds of profit making, uh, for all kinds of entities. And it's this, uh, I want to figure out what adjective I want to use for it. I think it's confounding and repulsive, <laughs> generally speaking, uh, the touch point between public finance public provisioning and private profit uh, and competitions, uh, com competition and market activity in the sense that the state and local governments, school districts chief among them, which are their own kinds of local government. You know, they're, they're almost like a fourth layer of hyper local governments that most of the country, all over the most of the country, school districts have their own taxing ability. They have a lot of um, autonomy unto themselves. Uh when it comes to, you know, what school, let's just talk about schools, uh, obviously, because that's what I know best. When it comes to a school district's needing of loans, usually it's for things that we call capital expenditures, capital projects. And capital projects are kind of large, one-time uh, needs 
that the district will have with respect to largely with respect to its facilities. Although if there's a budget crunch or there's something going on with the, the operating expenses in the district, sometimes they'll use bond revenues um, for things that they shouldn't be using them for, like textbooks or computers, materials. You really shouldn't be doing it for salaries, but some, you never know. Sometimes districts need this. In any case, when they, when they need these kinds of, um, kinds of loans, they go to the municipal bond market. And so I think, um, you know, just pausing there for one second, a lot of people think public schools, the traditional public school, it's, it's government funded. It's like free at the point of service, uh, kind of thing. But actually, for generations now, public schools have been privately financed with respect to capital expenditures, which are actually huge amounts of money and has only been getting more and more, um, you know, since two th- the year 2000. But um, in any case, the municipal bond market is this kind of like, um, I want to call it like a seething but slow uh, area of American capitalism uh, that they call fixed income, where um, ruling class investors who are mostly older, 65 plus, um, will tend to park their savings in order to make tax-free uh, returns um, on the investment. So essentially, like, let's say uh, I'm a, a, dis- a district official. I'm the business officer for a school district. We need a new roof on uh, one of our schools and we need a new playground at another one. And we're looking to build a new school somewhere in the district because our population's increasing. I go to the municipal bond market and sell my district as a commodity. And that commodity is an investment um, to uh, people who want to make uh, a kind of stable income that the federal government and many times state and local governments don't tax uh, um, on the interest payments. So I have to I get the loan, but I get it at a certain interest rate and I have to pay all kinds of fees in order to get this financing. I have to pay fees to the credit rating companies to get a credit rating for the district, much like a credit score everyone has. Um, the districts also have credit ratings and I have to pay all bond counsel lawyers to make sure that the deal is, is done. A lot of times these bond statements are in the range of, I'd say 250 to 400, 500 pages in the case of very complex debt instruments, like the ones they did in, uh, you know, right up until 2008, whenever the bottom fell out of everything, those can be thousands of pages because they're so complicated. Um, but I also have to pay, um, financial advisors in order to advise us in the uh, doing of these things. Um, and not only that, but we pay fees to the banks because the banks are the, uh, the, the huge pools of capital that are the go between, between the investors, other investment banks and the, the district who's the borrower. Um, so the bank takes money and a lot of times we don't know how much money the bank takes and, uh, it, it, those fees tend to be really David, high. Let me, let me pause you there because it's, it sounds, because what I'm hearing is a description of the many ways that this is a scam on the public uh, as, as a way for profiteers to, to be kind of vultures and take advantage of. Uh, so uh, short question, why is this the case? Why are people unaware? Yeah. I mean, why isn't it just funded normally? The government, you know, taxes and funds things. It doesn't necessarily have to do the public private combo. And why is this scam operating? What's the justification on its face? And then maybe what's the, yeah. It's a great question. So, I mean, there's a, there's a number of answers. Um, you know, and I've tried to understand it from the capitalist point of view. I'm a socialist, but I'm trying to understand it from the capitalist point of view and figure this out. I think there are a few reasons. Um, some of them are just overtly ideological, I'd say. Like, if you're, if you're in a capitalist country like the United States, particularly in the, you know, um, 
I don't you, we call it neoliberalism, but actually it's just liberalism. <laughs> it, uh, like you think that the best way to allocate credit is through markets, not through what you'd call a centralized planning mechanism. Okay. And if, if that's your ethos, you know, if it's sort of a libertarian fundamentalism, then for any given thing, you're going to say, okay, how can we market this? Like, how can we make this um, a market, a private, a profit, a profitable allocation of resources? So how do we allocate credit? That's the question here. And the answer in basically every single case in this country, you know, with a few exceptions is through the market. And so we have, thus we have this um, municipal um, market, but there's some historical reasons and there's some economic reasons why um, the way it happens in the U S as well. And I, I am some, I'm super interested in studying other countries and how they do this. I so far have not yet found a country that finances their school facilities primarily through private credit markets, but I'm, I'm on the lookout. Um, but so, a couple historical reasons, couple uh, economic reasons, historical reasons. So in there, there were municipal bonds to, to fund public projects going all the way back to the early 1800s big canals. I mean, and, and, and projects have been funded through loans since, you know, read David Graeber's debt, you know, I mean, that, how do you get a lot of capital to be able to do what you want to do? Um, you know, a good example of thinking about this is like, if you've seen Game of Thrones, you know, when like the master of the coin, Tyrion Lannister, or, um, or the other guy's name, I can't remember, but, uh, you know, uh, they're just trying to make the rub two coins together to get a third, you know, that's just, um, finance, right? But in the United States, something that happened that's important historically um, is, first of all, we have this sort of semi-decentralized form of government where we've got the federal, state, and local levels. And there's always this negotiation with, with a heightened allergy to anything that seems like tyranny or since the Russian Revolution, socialism. Um, uh, and so at any point, if there's anything that sort of smells like it's not local control anymore, people get people, ruling class, bourgeoisie people get antsy. Um, and so one of the ways to solve that particular problem of governance, how do you govern? How do you do anything? Um, and this argument comes from a book called American Bonds by Sarah Quinn, sociologist. It's a really good book. Her argument is basically, she does historical sociology. Her argument is that the way that you navigate this um, as a state to be able to achieve governance goals is through credit. Because what credit does is it creates a, a sense of um, incentive. It, it's, it's state power, but it's not overt state power. It's a way of achieving goals where people still feel like they're engaging in a kind of local control um, of, their, of their government. So credit has been a kind of go-to when you have this friction between the, the local, the state, and the federal. The other thing is in 1913, the creation of the federal income tax, that moment also saw a, a clause that that um, said that income from um, municipal uh, finance is going to be tax free. So in 1913, what what you think of if you if you were to if you were to read kind of traditional you know mainstream materials about the municipal bond market, would they say, oh well, the government does subsidize this? How does it subsidize it? Through tax exemption or tax expenditure, as as the tax theorists would say. Um, and so because the interest payments that the investors get back on their municipal, uh, in the, the investments that they make to the municipal bonds are tax free, the United States government says, well, we're subsidizing municipal finance and we do it because we're not, I think that's a very funny sense of subsidi subsidy to say like, well, I'm giving you something by not taking it from you. Um, it's a bit like of a mobster mentality to me. It's like, uh, 
you know, uh, yeah, I'm giving you, I'm giving you this thing cause I'm not taking it from you. <laughs> um, so it I think, is a, it, I mean, this is like a, the, uh, the classic American way of subsidizing things that like, okay, the government needs to do something. We need something to happen. How can we make it happen by making rich people more rich? Right. Allowing them to have money without doing anything. That's freedom. Yeah. And make it predictable and stable so that the rich can get richer, you know, in in a way that is is completely, uh, you know, impossible to stop. (laughs) Yeah. And and it's like and in this way that's sort of so complicated, like you don't most people kind of don't know what's going on. The, The last thing I wanted to mention was this economic thing that I actually think is kind of important, you know, because part of this project with this newsletter and my research project on this subject is to kind of think about what the socialist position on all this stuff would be um, and how to, how to think about non-reformist reforms, you know, um, in this space so that it's not just, Oh, let's, I saw a tweet today that was like trouble with infra- inflation, abolish the commodity form, you know, like I get that, I get that, but what are we going to do right now? You know, I mean, right. like active with the DSA and stuff. So we want to put and forward. Kind this of will actually get us, it'll get us to the, to the guns issue as well. Right. In Texas, yes. because of your proposal there. Right. Right, right. Yes, exactly. So I try to think concretely about these things and thinking and material materially about the means thinking about the actual kind of, you know, spatial, temporal, material limitations that you face in the world. So the a thing that's important to note about this stuff is um, that distinction I was mentioning earlier between capital expenditure and operating expenditure. Um, the basic root of that distinction is time. And so what I mean by that is as individuals, I know MMT people to, with whom I have a lot of sympathy and actually draw from heterodox thinking a lot in my work on this stuff. Um, you know, they take issue with comparing these kinds of expenditures to personal ones, but I actually think that the analogy can be helpful here. So you, us as individuals, we have different kinds of expenses, different kinds of needs that we'll, um, we'll have to, and different kinds of spending we'll do to meet them. So we have our, you know, our rent or our mortgage payment, or we'll have our food bill or our, our stuff that we have to pay for clothing, transportation, et cetera. Um, and those are these kind of regular, what we'd call maybe relatively smaller costs. But every once in a while, we have a really big cost. Um, and that could be going to college. It could be buying a house. It could be having a wedding. It could be um, maybe you want to start uh, – probably not starting a small business if you're a socialist, but maybe you are, you know, or you're starting a new, uh, new socialist magazine, you know, you need a business loan. Okay. But the reason why you need a loan, and this is a complicated economic problem, I think for socialists, you need a lot of resources up front. Now, how are you going to get those resources up front? Um, you could, you could have a, um, a really amazing grant program that provides grants for any given need for any size um, capital need you have at any given moment. But in, in the racial capitalism that we have now, this is not a very frequent um, kind of occurrence How, or you could get a loan, which is to say you could have someone give you the ton of capital that you need up front with the promise that you'll pay it back with interest over time. Um, and th- there are ways in which, um, I'm very interested in like the Yugoslavian uh, socialism, the market socialism that they had post-1948. And there are interesting ways in which um, they used banking to help sort of build the non-alignment movement among what became known as the third world. Um, for that for that reason, they were finding this kind of third this third option and it, it providing no-cost loans you know, to countries that needed um, industrial development. 
Um, in any case, socialists have to navigate that. That problem doesn't go away. The problem of like needing a lot of resources up front and those resources have to come from somewhere. Um, and so we have to figure, we have to figure that out. And that's, and that's, this was a long winded way of answering your question. Why do we have the municipal bond market? Because school districts need a lot of resources up front to, to manage their facilities costs. And so we have to figure out a way of getting them that money. That's the end of the preview, folks. If you want to hear the whole episode, you can go to patreon.com slash left anchor. Thanks for listening.